right? Parents, if you have kids watching at home with you, we'd like to ask the kids to grab something to color with. In our story today, Jesus is going to heal sick people, make blind people see, help crippled people walk. He's going to feed 4,000 from a few loaves of bread. And and so we want to invite kids to participate by drawing a a picture maybe of Jesus healing someone, maybe kids of someone you are praying for that you want Jesus to heal. And parents, snap a picture of that with your phone and feel free to post it uh, under the video there when we get towards the end of our, our time together in Matthew 15 when we come to those verses uh, about healing, uh, a great time to be reminded of what healing looks like through the eyes of our kids, a way that kids, you can participate. As we get started this morning, I want to start with a question. Uh, When you watch a movie, when you watch a TV show, when you engage in in a good book, Which character do you most resonate with? Uh, Think about maybe uh, the movie Superman. Do you resonate with Superman, someone who's tirelessly defending the weak and defending the innocent, an advocate for good? Uh, Maybe Lex Luthor, uh, the opportunist, the super villain. Uh, Maybe for you, it's Lois Lane, the undervalued uh, advocate uh, and defender of freedom. One of the things that's interesting is we tend to see ourselves more as the good guy, champions for good, more as uh, Superman, less Lex Luthor. If you like Star Wars, you tend to see yourself more as Luke Skywalker, uh, the Jedi, more than Darth Vader and, and the dark side of the Force. And so what's interesting about all of that is we find that, that our uh, pattern, we find that our predisposition is to minimize our sin, and sometimes that keeps us from identifying and heeding warnings in scripture that are there for our well-being. It's almost like those uh, kids, those young people partying on spring break right now and their youthfulness, their good immune systems make it hard for them to hear the health warnings that they should uh, be heeding. Sometimes our minimizing sin uh, causes us to miss significant warnings in scripture and God's word is clear to us that we are broken beyond what we uh, realize, that we're worse off than we realize. Consider Cain and Abel, and Cain kills his brother early on in Genesis rather than admitting to God that he's wrong. Rather than admitting that he's ignoring God's instruction, he chooses instead to turn a blind eye to what he's done and takes the life of his brother. Think about Israel. They're rescued from slavery. In Egypt, they worshipped superstitious, fake, false Egyptian gods, the real God brings them out of Egypt and it's just days into their journey in the wilderness where they look around, they say, where's Moses, where's food, where's water? And they return to their superstitious gods and turn their back on the one true God who brought them out of Egypt. And so very infrequently do we identify with the Israelites. We more identify with Moses who comes back and delivers God's judgment against their faithless, forgetful hearts. Two truths that we see throughout Scripture. One, that we're infinitely worse off than we realize. Two, that we're often blind to our own sin. So when we get into religious leaders this morning, when we get into the Pharisees, this morning and don't let's not minimize our sin and miss the example miss the instruction that's there for us they wouldn't be jesus chief antagonist then if they weren't a necessary and useful example for us 
today. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15. I would like to invite you to read along with me. We're going to start with the first nine, ten verses or so. And I just want us to see Jesus' reaction to these self-righteous religious leaders. Jesus is going to condemn these spiritual imposters. Let's read together from Matthew 15, starting in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and, and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me has been given to the Lord, he need not honor his father So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy to you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What's going on here? God's law says to honor your father and mother, But the religious leaders are telling the people, instead of honoring your father and mother, instead of taking care of them in old age, give your resources to God's work, to the Lord, give your resources to us, and tell your parents, who you've now neglected, that what they would have received from you has been given to the Lord. And so in this way, the religious leaders are telling the people to shirk their responsibility to their parents, to ignore the commands of God in favor of the commands of men. And and so it's to this that Jesus says, rightly did Isaiah say to you, say of you, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines of men, of God, the commandments of men. In other words, they're putting demands on people that are more restrictive than God's word. They're putting demands on people that in some cases are contradictory to God's word. So rather than being leaders who lead the people to the Lord, they're leading people into a religious lifestyle like them, into a never-ending cycle of trying to be good enough, a game that nobody wins because you can't ever be good enough to be in God's presence. Imagine it, imagine it like this. Imagine that uh, a physician or a, a, someone in a lab somewhere came up with the cure uh, for coronavirus and it was in the form of a pill. And so the cure existed. We had it. It was ready to go. But then imagine physicians coming together and say, let's not give people the cure. Uh, let's come up with a, a diet and exercise plan and we'll give that to people uh, and that will help them and and then they wrote a book and they marketed the book and they they sold the book the cure was available but they gave people all of these uh, instructions and people followed these instructions trusting them to be the experts and well-meaning good-intentioned devoted people followed the instructions getting no closer to the cure than when they started in fact further and further and further from the cure the harder and harder they try to get better without the pill that they needed. Jesus brings the spiritual cure and the religious leaders keep people out of the kingdom from God by compelling them with restrictions and regulations 
and rules into this never-ending cycle of trying to be good enough to be in God's good graces, an impossible thing. Being good enough can never create forgiveness of sins. Being good enough can never make us good as God. Jesus doesn't stop there. In 10 and Verses 10 through 20, he goes on, he continues uh, calling these uh, religious leaders blind guides in the sense they are leading people off of a spiritual cliff. They are keeping people out of the kingdom of God. Uh, Let's pick it up in verse 10, Matthew 15, verse 10. Uh, The category here says, "What, what defiles a person? And it says, and he called the people to him. So Jesus calls everyone to him and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into a mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Verse 12, then the disciples came to him and and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? So we're reminded politically correctness existed 2,000 years ago. Also, the disciples said, do you know that you just offended them? Verse 13, he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus criticizes their obsessively nuanced hand-washing rituals that equate clean hands with a clean heart. Uh, Jesus says a spiritually dirty heart heart can never be cleaned with hand sanitizer. Jesus shows how absurd this thinking is by talking about the reality that if there is dirt or any waste on your hands and it goes into your mouth, eventually it will be expelled by your body. How could something so transient, something that moves right through you, be defiling? Rather than focus on what goes in the body, Jesus says focus on what comes out of the mouth because what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. That is what's defiling. That is what is more serious. That is what's more concerning. Uh, An example, Uh, cigarettes are bad for your body. Cigarettes are, are bad for your body, but an unforgiving spirit is bad for your soul. An unforgiving spirit that lashes out with judgment, lashes out with resentment, lashes out in anger. That is, that's bad for your soul. It shows you that there's a spiritually malnourished spot in your heart. And and even worse, it it may indicate that you don't even know the forgiveness of God if you don't have the capacity and the desire to forgive others as the Lord has forgiven you. So he says, deal with the most significant thing first. Don't ignore the cigarette, but pay attention to your heart first. By the way, uh, if you're looking for great uh, stay-at-home reading for the next few weeks, emotionally healthy 
spirituality is a great read that talks about identifying those parts in your heart and what to do with them, how God changes the outside and also changes the inside. If this is a car restoration project, uh, what Jesus is saying is he's not just coming to paint the outside of the car to make it look good but not run. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do a full restoration, a full rebuild. He's going to take the engine out and put a new engine in, paint the outside, Redo the upholstery. The whole thing is new. Uh, This is prophesied about in Ezekiel 36. It says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone and remove the heart of flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus is offering a full restoration, a full rebuild, not just to paint the outside of a broke down vehicle that doesn't run. Jesus shows contempt for these spiritual postures, impostors. He calls them blind guides. He says they're leading the people off of a spiritual cliff. In contrast to these self-righteous religious leaders, we're going to see that Jesus runs to rescue, shows power over the sickness of those who come to him humbly. We're going to see that Jesus rescues Uh, the needy. Let's continue in Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there, and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. This is Gentile territory. Jesus is now away from the Jews. Jesus is now with the Gentiles. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. He totally ignores her. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. The disciples are giving Jesus the look that people on airplanes give parents when they don't discipline their kids and they're unruly and loud. The disciples are saying, Jesus, are you going to do something about this? He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but she came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This woman comes to Jesus with a great need and with great faith, and he ignores her. And then says this line, uh, comparing her to a dog. What what appears like he's saying is, why would I give to you uh, what is destined for these children, and he seems to compare her to a dog. And so, so how do we understand that statement? How does, how does that make sense? Because Jesus loved the Jews. Jesus loved the Gentiles. Jesus died for the Jews. Jesus died for the Gentiles. Jesus was respectful and kind to the men. Jesus was respectful and kind to the women. Jesus was respectful and kind to the children. How does this make sense? And so I want to pause and back out for a minute uh, and, and talk about what God is doing in history from beginning to end and what where he's at in that process right now with Jesus in Matthew 15. And, and so if we go all the way back to the garden, we recognize that God creates the world and he calls it 
good, right? There's, there's no sin. There's no fracture in the relationship between God and man. God is with Adam and Eve in the garden, walks with them. Uh, but they break that relationship. They turn their back on him. They defy uh, his instruction. They ignore uh, his good commands. They choose what they want over the good that God has said, and, and so they break that relationship. And so now there's a fracture uh, between God and man. Uh, there's distance, and now uh, humanity is, is on this course where we're enslaved, we're shackled to, we're burdened by sin, and, and we're doomed to suffer eternity without Jesus because of our obstinance. And so God's work to repair what man broke unfolds like chapters in a book throughout the Bible, uh, often uh, taking the form of, of what God calls uh, covenants. And so I just want to talk about five. The first coming from Genesis 6, a covenant to Noah. Sin enters the world in Genesis 3. By Genesis 6, the whole world is a wreck. Uh, the Lord brings the flood to wipe everything out there. In Genesis 6, uh, the first covenant, God says to Noah, I will never do this again. In other words, the world will be a stable place where God's relationship with humanity can be restored. Uh, the second covenant comes later in Genesis as God comes to Abraham and God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a people group and through this people group, my plan to rescue, my plan to offer salvation, offer saving, my plan to bring all of humanity back to me will take shape. You will be my people and you will be the people I will use to invite all people back to restored relationship with God. The third covenant, the Ten Commandments, Abraham's descendants, God comes to them in the wilderness, gives them commandments and says, this is what it looks like to be the people of God. Follow these rules, follow these guidelines, abide by them and you will be my people and you will be my representatives to the world. Again, God's plan all along is to call all nations, Jews and Gentiles, all nations from all places to be restored to him, to walk in right relationship with him, to have victory over sin and that enslaving power to one day be with God forever and ever and ever in a place that he creates for us to be with him for eternity. Fourth covenant, King David. God simply says to David, uh, if you will lead my people uh, to follow me, one from your family line will sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. Enter Jesus, the son of David, the seed of Abraham, the faithful covenant partner that Israel could never be, right? Israel has failure after failure after failure, and their failures create the backdrop by which we understand the necessity and significance and importance of Jesus as the covenant-keeping partner that Israel could never be on our behalf, so that now, by faith in what's called the New Covenant, in Hebrews 9.15, Jesus is referred to as the mediator of the New Covenant, so that now, by faith in this new covenant, we get access to all of the benefits that Jesus made possible through his perfect life, his death and resurrection. He paid the penalty that a thousand 
goats, sheep, and bull, to use Old Testament sacrificial uh, language, could never repay. And, and so now we're invited by faith into those benefits, into the presence of God, under the protection of God, to enjoy his presence and his provisions forevermore. So when this woman comes to Jesus in Matthew 15 and says, Jesus, heal my daughter. She is a Gentile woman is coming and asking for Jesus. And Jesus is saying, my plan is for all the world. And it's unfolding in real time here in Matthew 15. And he's saying, it's not the Gentiles turn yet. It's not the Gentiles turn yet. So rather than seeing uh, Jesus comments as a dog being derogatory in some way or or implying that she is a Gentile or she is a female had less value. We see that, that Jesus is saying, it's not your turn yet. In the same way that the food is given to the children of the home first and then after the kids feed, then they feed the family pets. Jesus is saying, it's not your turn yet. But his plan from the beginning, the father's plan from the beginning was to invite all men, all women, all families, all children, all nations to be restored to right relationship with him to live under his protection, to enjoy his presence and his provisions forever. So what do we learn from this woman who comes to Jesus? Uh, We learn that the appropriate way to bring our needs to Jesus is through humility. She bows down to him. She recognizes that she has no claim to his power. She deserves nothing. He doesn't owe her anything. He's not obligated to help. He's not obligated... uh, to heal. And so she comes with humility and bows low. She comes trusting. Jesus is plan A. There is no plan B. She comes trusting that he can do what she needs him to do for her, that he's the only one who can do for her what she needs most to be done. She comes and she is persistent. Jesus ignores her. She's persistent. Jesus' followers ignore her and try to to get her uh, kicked out of the restaurant. She is persistent. We come to Jesus humbly. We come to Jesus trembling, tre- humbly. We come to Jesus persistently. And then, and then last, we see that in this dry and spiritually arid or desert wasteland that is uh, the Gentile region, we see seedlings, we see sprouts, we see even blossoms of great faith. And we're reminded that even in the darkest places, the work of God goes forward. The spirit of God has power calling people to faith. And so if you're watching this morning and you're someone who just looks around at the world and says, it just feels like the world is becoming a spiritually dry and arid wasteland, pray vigorously that people are spared from this virus. Pray even more that we would see the Holy Spirit, that we would see the power of God go into these dark places and shine light, that in these places that seem so far removed from faith, uh, from knowledge of the gospel, from access to the word of God, that we would see the Holy Spirit move in power in those places, in dry and weary lands, cultivating and calling faith from people who are spiritually dead, making them spiritually alive. Let's continue. Jesus cares for this lady, uh, and then he begins a healing and teaching ministry. Uh, Look at 
Matthew 15, 31. This is how the people respond to his work. It says, so the crowd wondered, verse 31. They wondered, they were in awe, they marveled, they were overwhelmed, they were captivated by what he did. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Kids, if if you drew any pictures, now's a great time uh, to post them if you can figure out how to do that uh, on Facebook. But the crowd wonders and they glorify the God of Israel. Now consider the crowd for just a a minute. This is a Gentile crowd. Uh, Contrast them with the religious leaders. Contrast them with the Jews. The Jews had unparalleled access to Old Testament prophecy. The Jews had unparalleled access to Jesus. He lived with them. Most of his ministry happened in their region. Uh, They walked with him. They heard him preach. They saw the miracles. Uh, These crowds see and hear the same things, but to a lesser extent, but rather than being threatened by Jesus' power, they're blessed by Jesus' power. Rather than dismissing his claims, they marvel at who he is, and it says they worship the God of Israel. So church, I would ask us, are we more like the Jews or are we like the Gentiles here? In America, in the West, we have unparalleled access to God's word. We have unparalleled access to cover to cover, understanding the Old Testament prophecy, how scripture has been fulfilled, and even what God is doing around the globe. It's well documented on websites, God's work all over the globe. Uh, But the religious leaders became apathetic to his message, became unwilling to surrender their hearts and follow Jesus. Are we more like the Jews? Are we more like the religious leaders who had unparalleled access to Jesus, but had stubborn hearts and were unwilling to surrender our whole lives to him? Or are we more like the Gentiles who they get a taste, they see him at work, and immediately they glorify the God of Israel? I wonder if possibly the greatest thing that we need right now is just to be woken up and reminded that we are needy and helpless before God. After all, it's the needs of these Gentile people that bring them to Jesus. Their needs bring them to Jesus, and when they come to Jesus, they take him at his word and they praise the God of Israel. The last part of the text Uh, The rest of the chapter records Jesus uh, feeding uh, those 4,000 people. Um, Jesus is attentive to their physical needs. And and so we're reminded uh, that when you love people, you care most about their most important needs. And Jesus addressed that with his preaching, inviting them to follow him. But you care about all their needs. And Jesus met their physical needs making those that couldn't see, see. Those that couldn't walk, walk. Those that were sick were healed. Those that were hungry were fed. You know, our missionaries that were with us last week shared a neat story with me about what it is like to come in to a Muslim people group uh, equipped, uh, as they said, uh, with two things of significance. In, In one hand, the gospel of eternal significance, the most significant thing that we need to be restored to God. Uh, But then the other hand, 
provisions for material needs. And, and so they, they told me about uh, ministering in a refugee camp where a previous Christian group had come in and had come to these uh, Muslim background uh, persons and said, can we tell you about Jesus? And they got nowhere with that. And, and so our missionaries learned from that. And when they came into the refugee tribe, to, to the refugees, uh, they asked them, what do you need? And the refugees said, we, we need food. We need grain. So, so our missionaries went and bought 50 cows and 50 bags of grain and just gave them to their Muslim refugee neighbors. They came back in three months later and said, what else do you need? And they said, it's hot. We need something for our feet. We need flip-flops. It's hot. We need something for our skin. So they brought uh, lotion and sunscreen, and they bought, brought flip-flops, and they gave them to their Muslim refugee neighbors. They came back three months later, third time, when they came back the third time, they said, could we give you something? And they were able to pass out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, equipment to listen and hear uh, the story of Jesus in the people's own language. And guess who did not say no to receiving the good news of Jesus in their own tongue? These Muslim refugee neighbors. And, and so as we, we look around... Uh, I want to ask the question, how do we mimic the ministry of Jesus here in Douglas County where we care about what people know most need, their spiritual needs, but we care about all their needs, especially at a time when physical needs, uh, finances, uh, resources, health care are becoming so prominent. And we just, we just expect that in the coming weeks, the level of need will rise. We expect that in the coming weeks, weeks, uh, the sense of urgency and maybe uh, the sense of fear is going to increase. And I want to ask you, what has God given you to, be, to minister to your neighbors? What has God given you? What has he entrusted to your care that's ultimately not for you, but it's for his glory to go through you uh, to serve those around you? Um, we have missionaries all over the world right now who are trying to figure out where they go and what they do. Some of our missionaries may come home from the field, may be sent home, may be Forced home. If you're someone who is giving to a, a missionary, uh, ask the Lord to lead you in how you might continue to support those missionaries as they work through an extraordinarily difficult situation. Uh, if you know people that work in retail, uh, it's estimated that approximately 22% of all labor hours in the country have evaporated. So financial needs are going to be extraordinary. Has God given you extra? that you can share? Can you do with less so that you will have more to share? Do you know a medical worker who's putting their life on the line every day? Do you know a medical worker who is exposed to the virus and exposed to all sorts of things because they're trying to help and they're trying to care? Pray for that person. How can you encourage that person? How can you come alongside of that person and care for their material needs as an extension of your love for them, and of God's love for them, and ultimately your desire to see them uh, restored to God, not just to preserve a clean bill of physical health. How can we mimic Jesus' ministry? It's as he came meeting their needs that the opportunity was created for them to see Jesus, as the Canaanite woman says, as the son of David, a messianic term, an indicator that it seems to us, best we can tell, that she had faith, that it was real faith created at an occasion of need. Second question as we continue just to wrap up, uh, 
How do we need to be more like the Gentiles? How do we need to be more like these people who praised the God of Israel? Church, I want to ask you in this unique time to let your neediness drive you to the Lord, not from him. To seek him as plan A with no plan B. To come to him humbly, to come to him trusting, not like the Israelites in the wilderness who freaked out every moment, every time their circumstances seemed insurmountable. What does it look like for us to have faith, trusting that the Lord is bigger than all of these things? Let your neediness drive you to Jesus, not from him. Last, maybe some of us watching today are really more like the Pharisees. We're on this hamster wheel, this effort to be good enough, and we've learned over time that no matter how good we are for a moment, we can never be good enough, and so we're teetering uh, on that brink of despair. The encouragement to us today is that Jesus offers a full restoration. He doesn't just want for you better works or or more willpower so you can go a little bit longer in between failures. Uh, Like that car analogy, he wants to do a full remodel, a full restoration. As Ezekiel 36 says, he wants to give you a new heart and a new spirit. Not just paint on the outside, but pull the old engine out, put a new engine in. That is what is available. An invitation for us to be made new. Our sins, our past, uh, our pain uh, dealt with and an invitation into the protected family of God to enjoy his presence and his provision forevermore. Uh, So we want to to give the resources that God has given us. We want to pray thoughtfully about how to lead our families to do that in our communities, in our neighborhood. We want to mostly invite people to repent of their sins and to begin to follow Jesus. As we wrap up this morning, I want to ask you, are you a Pharisee today that needs to be re- to repent? How do you be like the Gentiles where our neediness drives us to Jesus? And in what way this week is the Lord calling you to mimic Jesus' ministry? We see that Jesus shows contempt for the self-righteous, but that Jesus runs to the needy. Church, may we be the needy people who run to Jesus and find our rest in him as the worship team comes forward to close us uh, in prayer uh, thank you for being with us this virtual family uh, this morning Uh, if there's needs that you have in your family and please let us know so the church can be a part of this Uh, you have a body you have a family of believers around you Uh, we gather corporately uh, just a few of us here in this room uh, this morning uh, but together virtually uh, join me in prayer lord god uh, speak to our hearts show us how to serve show us who has needs lord that you've equipped us to be the answer to their prayers Uh, lord may our neediness drive us to you not from you lord may our hope Be in the confidence, Lord, that you have made us new. You have given us a new heart and your spirit is in us. So we don't get through this by our willpower. We don't get through this by our planning. We don't get through this uh, by our resources. We get through this by your spirit who will guide us and lead us each and every day. Help us to cling to you, Lord. For those of us uh, who you have allowed this occasion to essentially send us home from work, help us to engage with the work that you have given us to do from our homes and in our homes. Lord, may we receive this as a period of 
pause and may we listen to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.